My guest on this edition of the Time with Fred podcast is a reason to believe in second chances. His tenacity and passion for helping people led him to start his transformational program, the Academy of Hope. And this is a program designed to reduce institutional violence in prisons by providing an intense level of intervention while also creating a positive environment for the inmate population and staff. This was not always his calling though. Nearly two, two decades ago, uh, my guest was serving a hundred year sentence in prison, but he was no regular prisoner. He was a natural born leader. He rose to be a top gang leader within the facility running all the daily gang activities. Here, here's the coolest part. After an epiphany in solitary confinement, he made the decision to turn his life around. And he had a simple dream to attend Harvard University and to become successful. He has spoken on multiple TEDx stages, and in addition, his innovative strategies against gang activity and inmate manipulation have improved correctional systems across the US. He's also superseded his goal to attend Harvard University. In 2015, nearly 25 years after leaving prison, he was given a fellowship at the prestigious institution. This is a Time with Fred podcast. It's timely, it's insightful, it's motivating, it's empowering. It's Time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. So Mr. Andre Norman joins us from Atlanta, Georgia. Andre, welcome to the Time with Fred podcast. Thank you for having me on, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure is all mine, Andre. Why don't you take us back a little bit? How did it all start for you? It started um, as a young boy. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, and tough upbringing, single mom, six kids, trying to make it, mom working too many jobs to count, not enough time, not enough money to make everything work. So I wasn't a big kid, so I wasn't athletic, and I wasn't like a road scholar, so I wasn't super into school. I was illiterate to the third grade, actually. So going to school to me wasn't fun. It was tough. And then when I got to middle school, kids used to make fun of us fun of me for being poor and not having the cool stuff, being on free lunch and those type of things. And I went through middle school just hating school. And I went through high school <laughs> just hating school. And um, it was at this time when I was in high school, I had been playing trumpet since the sixth grade. And my friends had convinced me that playing the trumpet was stupid. I told them I was really good at it. I loved it. They were like, nah, black folks don't play the trumpet. And they just gave me the business. Until I just said, either us or your trumpet. So I gave my trumpet up. I always tell people, growing up poor, growing up without a dad, growing up in the hood is all bad. But people have done it and made it. You can't grow up without a dream. It's never going to happen. So when I gave up my trumpet, I gave up my dream. I drifted until I ended up in either court or the graveyard. I ended up in court. They gave me a 7 to 10, two 9 to 10s, two 10s, two 15 to 20s, and a 5. And put me in a van, drove me to prison, dropped me off. And when I got there, it was a reunion of all my friends from the dummy class, special needs, all my friends from the principal's office, mm. all my friends who quit football or track. Everybody who used to quit on something, we were all at the prison. And you have right now over 2 million people locked up. Mm. And most of them are locked up because they quit on life. I'm not saying it was fair. I'm not saying everything went their way, but um, quitting definitely played a role because there were positive things that I could have done that I opted not to do. I want you to think I just grew up in a hellhole with nobody ever trying. The people just couldn't reach me. 
people tried and they didn't speak my language. They couldn't connect. My vernacular was outside of their reach. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself in prison. And when you first get there, you go with what's happening in prison. Mm -hmm. So you're in Virginia. If you went to the Virginia Department of Corrections, the first thing they're going to ask you when you come in the door is where you're from. You're going to say Richmond or you're with them. I'm from Hampton. You're with them. You're from Virginia Beach. You're with them. Mm -hmm. You're from Roanoke. You're with them. Mm -hmm. It's not an option. You go to where your neighborhood is. I'm from Alexandria. You're with them. Mm -hmm. So when I got there, they asked me where I was from, and I told them, and that put me with my group. Mm -hmm. It just so happened the group of people that I got placed with ran the prison. Wow. <laughs> so the boss of the bosses was from my, I'm from his neighborhood. And so I'm hanging out with these guys every day. And for six years, I just hung out with them getting in trouble. And finally, I woke up one day and I realized I'm the king in this place, which is cool. But what does that mean? I'm the king of nowhere. I made myself believe that prison was cool, that mm -hmm. prison was great, and I'm achieving something by winning fights on the yard or whatever you want to call it. And I didn't want to do it anymore. So I said, I want to, for the first time, six years in, I said, I want to be free. Mm -hmm. But I looked around at the white guys, the black guys, the Spanish guys, the guys from different parts of the state. Everybody went home and everybody came back. Nobody got free and stayed out. And I realized free doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Free is technically the parking lot. If you get to the parking lot, you achieved your dream if you wanted to be free. And most people make it to the parking lot with no plan. Then they end up spinning, getting in trouble and coming right back. So I said, for me not to come back here, I have to do more than get free. I have to become successful. So I said, I'll go home, go to Harvard, be successful. I went out my cell the next day, rounded my guys up, and I told them, I'm going home, I'm going to Harvard, I'm going to be successful. And nobody believed me. Nobody wanted to hear me. They said, Dre, you can't go to Harvard. You're black, you're a gang leader, you're violent, you're out of control, you're in the hole, you're this. They told me all the reasons I couldn't go. I actually wasn't listening to them. What I was hearing were my friends from the ninth grade who stole my trumpet, who convinced me to get rid of it. And I just didn't listen to them. I went back on myself and I was like, nah, I'm not going for this twice. This is how I got here giving up my dream. Mm. If I give up my dream again, I'll probably stay here. So I just decided I had to go by myself. And the crazy part is those same seven, eight guys, I told, let's go to Harvard. And they told me, no. Had I said to them, let's go attack the white guys. They just said, yeah. Let's go attack the Latinos. They just said, yeah. Let's go attack some black people. They just said, yeah. Let's go attack the guards. They just said, yeah. I said, let's go home and be successful. They all said, no. The conditioning that they were under, the conditioning that I had been under, had put us in space of, we know our place. And we're just going to make the best of this, even though it's not the best for us. And I had to break that conditioning. And there are people right now who are maybe made it to college, got degrees, became doctors, but it wasn't what they wanted. It was what their parents wanted. They got married. They got kids. They got a house. They didn't want to marry that lady. She didn't want to marry that man. But they felt pressured because of whatever their circumstance was. There are people who go to work every day, run big companies, work in America, and hate themselves. So they've been conditioned to this, this is what you do. You can't go back. You have to do this. And so many people are conditioned not to try to break out of their normal pattern of doing things. And it's, it's shocking and it's sad. And I had to become a disruptor for myself. 
I want to part there for a moment there, Andre, and take you back a little bit. I mean, you, you'd gotten, find yourself in this place where you're, there were a lot of familiar places from folks you, you knew back from school, from, you know, the environment, whatever, and you found a haven there, right, so to speak. But what was it that made you decide that this place is not for me and I want to be free? What was it that made you decide that you're going to challenge the the, the upbringing and, and, and the social conditioning. What, what, what was it in you that, that sparked that desire in you to, to turn things around? The best way I can explain it, if you've ever seen The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and Total drop down and to get home, they have to make it to go see the wizard and get their request. And they march all the way through Oz. Everything that could happen, happened. Every bad thing, they fought their way through till they got to the big castle. And when they get to the castle, Toto pulls a curtain and they find out that the wizard is a fake. But they spent all that time and all that energy to get there. Mm. And so many people tell them, be scared of the wizard, be nervous of the wizard, be respectful to the wizard. And they find out the wizard was fake. That's how it was like for me. I wanted to be the top gang leader in the prison system. And I'm like so many other. We're fighting, fighting, fighting. But I made it to the castle. And I pulled the curtain back and I saw it was fake. It was like, the mythical title of king of the prison is fake. It's not powerful, found best fighter. You're not getting millions of dollars. You're sitting in a prison cell, locked in a cage, shut down, under control. That's not, that's not glorious. That's not a winner. That's not what people, what we did was make the best of a horrible situation. Instead of saying, this is horrible, let's change. But when I finally got to that line, when I saw it for what it was, I couldn't deny it. It was sitting right there in front of me. Up until the curtain got pulled, Dorothy believed in a wizard. Hmm. And up until the curtain got pulled, nobody cared that the Oz was fake. Nobody cared. Nobody cares that the king of the prison is a fake title. Hmm. I watched Matrix because I grew up in that era. Matrix 1, 2, and 3. In Matrix 3, when Neo finally opens the door, hmm. they tell him, oh, we've been through this scenario 10 times. You can save the girl or save the world. <laughs> I'm like, huh? It's like, it was like anti-climate. It was like it was crazy. So I realized it was fake. And I said, I'm going to save myself. It must take a lot of um, internal motivation there. You, you touched on another point there, Andre Leon, when you talked about, you know, going back out, a lot of stats show it. You probably know these stats better than I do because you do this for a living, that the percentage of folks who, who get out of the prison system, but finding their way back because they, they just don't fit right outside. And so they, they, well, they fit. They say they want to be free, mm. but they don't understand free is the parking lot. Mm. Once you get to the parking lot, you've achieved your goal. Mm. And they don't have a plan beyond the parking lot. Mm. If you say, I want to make more money than last year, so how much did you make last year? You say 50,000. I hand you 51,000. You're done. Yeah. You're not trying to get 10 million because you just want to get better than last year. Yeah. Well, last year was only 50, so 51 does it. So where's your drive to 10 million? That's right. You achieved your goal. So often people suffer in this life, not because they don't shoot for the moon and they don't make it. They aim low and they hit. Hmm. I'm going to be a drug dealer. I'm going to be a stick-up kid. I'm going to be a pimp. I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be something. I'm gonna be a transport. I'm gonna sell guns. I'm gonna be a hitman. These are all low hanging. That they're beneath the tree. He's shooting in the grass. 
You're shooting in the grass. Yeah. You can't miss. Anybody can go out there and try to be a drug dealer. Anybody can go out there and be a hitman. Anybody can go out there and be a pimp. You might not be good at it, but you can go do it. That anybody can be a doctor. That anybody can be a welder. That in, you have to work and study to become a welder. Yeah. There's no practice to be a drug dealer. How did you overcome those those naysayers who who told you you couldn't do it? Right. I mean, a prestigious goal. You know. Going out, I'm going to go to Harvard. Like, come on, man! This is this is where we belong. Right? No one's ever done this in your family. No one amongst you know. This is where we belong. But there was an inner drive, Andre, that kept you going. And I'd imagine that there were obstacles, very legitimate ones too, that that you had to come to get to where you were. Right. But first of all, how do you, do you overcome some of those naysayers um, and the obstacles that were in your way till you got to where one, you wanted to? Yeah. When they started talking about. I couldn't go. And they reminded me of what happened to me in the ninth grade. I love my trumpet. I love my trumpet. So there it is. Mm. I keep one with me at all times as a reminder of the people who told me I couldn't be, I couldn't be that. They took that from me in the ninth grade. It changed my whole life. So when they tried to take my second dream, I wasn't giving it up. And naysayers, that's just part of life. Mm. You're in, I don't care if you're a Virginia Tech or you're, you know what I'm saying, or you're a Virginia fan. Mm-hmm. It's 50-50. If you're a Duke of North Carolina, it's, nobody's gonna, nobody gets 100% of chairs. Nobody gets chairs by everybody. There's always going to be an opposition. I've never seen a football game without a defense on the field. Mm-hmm. It's not a game. So there's going to be opposition to whatever you want to do in life. And if you want to listen to the crowd, then you be what the crowd wanted to be. And the opposition sometimes legitimizes the reason why we refuse to, to, to progress. And I say that because so, let's just see someone has a lofty goal. I call it lofty because it's not been done before and it's, 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 not, an, it's not heard of before and they decide to do something and they run into uh, some least resistance, right? Or they, they run into resistance and they, well, yeah, I, I, I knew it, right? I've run into I knew this couldn't be, but sometimes I'd imagine, and I'll dare say that the fact that you run into resistance does not mean that your dream has to stop there. There's got to be something that keeps you going from failure to failure to failure, as Winston Churchill said, right, without losing momentum. Now, when you run into, I guess, your first resistance there, what, why didn't that stop you, right? Why did you keep going? Because it wasn't a true resistance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People not believing is not resistance. People have the right not to believe. People have the right to bet on what's safe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm, I'm not mad at that. You know I always ask people, if I gave you one coin, mm-hmm. I said, there's three things you can bet on. There's a hundred thousand, you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar reward. You can bet a hundred percent that you're gonna win, there's fifty percent that you're gonna win, and there's zero percent that you're gonna win. Where do you put your coin? There's a $100,000 prize up here. And the odds change, of course. I'm saying the odds go, you get better odds at the lower number, but there's a 100% chance you're going to win at one for one. There's a 50% chance you're going to win, you get 10 to one. And there's a 0% chance you're going to win at 1,000 to one. Where do you put your core? What do you have to do to make your goal happen if you bet on 100? Nothing. You're betting that it's done for you. Steve Jobs said, I'm going to create a thing and it's a 0% chance it's going to win. Hmm. 
Jeff Bezos said, I'm going to create a thing, and there's a 0% chance it's going to win. Mm. Elon Musk said, I'm going to create a thing, and there's a 0% chance it's going to win. They all bet on 0%. Mm -hmm. They created something that didn't exist. 100% means it exists and somebody else controls it. Yeah. A 0% means you're in complete control, and you take all the responsibility and the weight that goes with it. So Elon Musk is the richest man in the world because he bet on zero. Yeah. All you 100 percenters are still standing over in the corner doing nothing. Yeah, because we want Somebody to play it safe, right? Yeah, we love this. That's love not the playing it safe. Stuff. That's yeah. doing nothing. Mm. There's nothing required of you at the 100%. You just got to wait. But at the 0%, you have to do everything yeah. times 10. And that's where your character comes from. That's where your drive comes from. Mm. That's where when you achieve and people are like, oh, now he just think he cools the other Bentley comes from. Mm. No, I'm not. When I was riding around in the prison van and shackles on, you weren't talking about me. Mm. Now I'm riding around in this car, you won't talk about me. Mm. No, I'm the same guy that rode around in the back of a police car with handcuffs and shackles on. So all you 100 percenters, I was in a prison cell. I bet on zero. I put all my chips on zero. Mm. And that's why I'm the winner. That, that's such a, a paradigm shift there, Andre. It's, it's such a powerful concept. And I wonder how many of us, and I said hundreds, that's, that's where a lot, of, a lot of folks, I would dare say, right? Maybe perhaps the 80% want to be, right? Because we don't want to put in any sweat equity because it's, it's done, right? That's, believe that's in yourself. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Do you believe in yourself? Yeah. How much belief do you have in yourself is a real question because it becomes the opposite. Mm. The people who bet on 100 have 0% in themselves. The 50 people got 50% belief in themselves. The zero got 100% belief in themselves. Where's your belief factor in you? I don't need no one to do it for me. Don't need a handout. I just need a hand up. Get me on my feet and I'll be okay. Just get me to the standing position and I'll take it from there. Get me to I'm old enough to feed myself. I got it. So, but so many people want to do 0% of the work, but want to be rich, but want to be successful, but want to be famous. You can't be any of those things if you don't do any work. I love that. I love that. And I want to talk about the Harvard story here because it's an integral part of your integral part of your, your story here, right? How did that process, how did you end up there? Well, I spent eight years working 20 hours a day to get out of prison. I taught myself how to read. I taught myself the law. I went to anger management, went to mental health counseling. Hmm. I spent 20 hours a day writing letters to people that never wrote back. I spent 20 hours a day designing programs that never got taken seriously. But when I got home after 14 years and I started working on the outside, I just kept going. Mm. And you know, you know what people like? They like a go hard, serious, un unwavering person on their team. Who do you want on your team? Someone that's not going to quit. Who do you want on your team? Someone that's going to keep going no matter what the circumstance. Mm. Who do you want on your team? The man that's going to bet it all and give it all and not worry about losing. So when I showed up on the scene, such to society, with that attitude, I might as well been a young Michael Vick running around Virginia. They're like, whoa, he's fascinating everybody else. When Michael Vick was 10, I use that because you're from Virginia, he was faster than everybody. And if you're a football coach, you go to the park and you see Michael Vick and all the rest of the boys, who do you want on your team? Michael Vick. Yeah. He's evidently faster than everybody. And every coach wanted Michael Vick. Every coach wanted Marcus Vick because those two boys ran 100 miles an hour without blinking, mm -hmm. 10 times faster than anybody else. They didn't understand 
at 10 years old, their talent. But the coaches did. They were just out playing with their friends. When I showed up, I'm just trying to make a difference. But the people standing around me said, that's different. There was a professor from London Business School. He came and got me. He said, if he can do this with gang members and prostitutes, what can he do with businessmen? And he flew me to London and he put me in a room with Deutsche Bank. He says, I don't know how this is going to go, but it's do what you do. And I've been at London Business School since 2001, training and teaching some of their top clients. People are always looking for talent. And you don't find talent in 100% lane. That was the whole Rocky movie. He came from nothing. He fought. He was chasing chickens. He didn't have the equipment. He didn't have the things. He didn't have the stuff. He had to make it. And that person has something that the other person doesn't have. It's called grit. I love that concept of grit. I'm reading that book, Grit by um, Angela Duckworth, and it's such a powerful, such a powerful book with, with so many lessons here. Andrew, there are pundits who are listening to us right now who somehow have those mental blockades, right? Or barriers erected and you're, you're, you're going for like, no, this is, this is just, this is greed. This is just too far. This is, this, why don't you just get satisfied with where you are, right? Why, why do you want to go the extra mile? Why do you want to go attain that? How do we respond to folks like that? Because I feel well, like these are, some of these are self-sabotaging beliefs. Or we please this limitation in ourselves because in our minds, this is how far that one has to go, right? And so we want, we cut short our potential because we're not even sure how far we can go because we're placing this limitation. So for 22 years, I've traveled the world. I work for U.S. presidents and prime ministers. I worked in over 24 countries. I work for some of the biggest companies on the planet. Hands down, advisor to billion dollar companies, so what? All this wonderful stuff. And the people who are sitting home listening to this was like, oh, this guy's full of shit, or he's just making it up, or I can't do that because I'm not him. He's special. I don't know. I'm depressed. I don't want to be alive. I'm a quitter. I don't want to give my all. And I can't change. That's just for people like him. So I would tell those people, call me. I would say, reach out to my brother, call Fred, and have him, and you call me. Let's have a conversation. You call me. Now, same people right now, I say, yo, call me. It's real simple. We'll help you break through. I will help you break through. Call me. Fred will set it up. We'll get on the call. We'll help you break through. Those same people are now saying that I went from being full of, full of stuff and, and lying to, he won't talk to me. I'm not worthy. He won't think I'm good enough. He thinks he's smarter than me. I don't have enough stuff. I'm not ready. See, it's all mental conditioning. I'm saying, I'll talk to you directly. They're now talking themselves out of it. Mm. So what they need to do is realize that their biggest problem isn't the external. Mm. It's themselves. You have somebody on the phone who's sincerely successful, validatable, hands down all day. I went from the penitentiary to Harvard to the White House, to London Business School, to every top mastermind group, CEO group in the world. And I'm saying to you, I will help you. And in their mind, they're saying, never happened. He won't help me. Mm. That, that's when you say, well, he said it. Why can't I believe it? Because I don't believe in me. It's not that they can't believe in what I'm saying. They can't believe in themselves. So I say to you who can't believe in themselves, let us help you. Let us help you. Fred is here to help you. But are you looking to be entertained? Are you looking to be gotten through the rest of your evening? Or are you looking for help? I had to learn to ask for help. And I didn't know everything. I couldn't handle everything. 
I had to ask for help. And Fred, you represent help for these people. They need to call you and say, help. Stop waiting for you or, or a guy in a white horse to ride up or a blank truck to ride by and $10 million off the back of it. Go make your money. Go make your fortune. Go make your life. So what, you're not 6'5 and 165 and wear a six-pack? So what? So what? You don't drive a Bentley truck or got a private jet. So what? You're not the president of Amazon. Only one president of Amazon. Be the best you. I love that. I love it, Andre. And there, I've always believed, Andre, that sometimes the difficulties or the challenges that we go through in life end up shaping who we become, right? End up in, in, uh, influence, influencing our, our, our trajectory or, or, or destiny in life. To what extent do you believe in the fact that the challenges that you went through uh, through the penitentiary influence what you're doing now as an individual, reaching out, speaking to conglomerates and, and impacting lives? I, I look back at my life, I look at the people who stole my trumpet, I look at the people who gave me a hard time in the sixth grade, I look at my father walking out on us, and I think of the Muhammad Ali story. When Muhammad Ali grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, he cut grass, he was a little poor kid from the city. Him and his brother stayed up enough money to buy a bike. Their bike got stolen, and they walked to the police station to file a report. And the whole way, Cassius is talking about beating the kid up, beating the kid up, beating the kid up. They got to the police station. The cop looked at these two little black boys in Louisville, Kentucky, mind you, and he couldn't say, get out of my station. I don't care about your bike, but the cop saw somebody who had energy. He saw passion and he reached out to the kid. He said, I got a question. Not do you want to beat the kid up, but can you fight? And Cassius agreed to join his boxing club if he got a chance to fight the kid. And Cassius joined into the ring. And out of that ring and that base from the police station came an Olympic champion, came a heavyweight champion, became a world peace leader, became the greatest. And when he went around the world advocating for peace and justice and just setting the world on fire, he was the only person I know of in my lifetime to be classified as the greatest, mm. not in any sport, but just as a person. Mm. And when he died, he had the greatest homegoing of any person I've ever seen or heard of. And if I could go right now and get Muhammad Ali and bring him and sit him next to me, I can go get the boy who stole his bike and sit him on the other side. Muhammad wouldn't punch him, wouldn't even curse him. He would shake his hand and say, I don't appreciate what you did, but what you did made me. You gave me the energy and the passion and the drive. And he gave me a chance to be seen by that cop who felt my pain and gave me a chance to exercise my gift. Had you not stolen my bike, I'd be another dead black boy in Louisville, Kentucky. Nobody ever heard of. That's an amen moment right there. So the baseline is I look back at my, my trials and I say, thank you. Mm. I look back at my haters and I say, thank you. Mm. I look back at the gods who did me dirty. I say, thank you. Look back at my friends who didn't believe. And I say, thank you. Because what you did made me. Mm. I sit on top of the world right now, not because of anything other than the ability to endure. I had an OG tell me one time, it's not the one who throws the best punch and wins. It's one who can take the best punch. Mm. What they did, being the collective they, made me. It made Muhammad. It made Mike Tyson. It made Alec Baldwin. It made a lot of people. It made Oprah Winfrey. I can, everybody has trials. That's right. You can get to the line and say, I'm just going to lay down and go to sleep. 
Or you can use that thing that they did to you as fuel to keep going because it's not pain, it's energy. When that cop looked at a little Muhammad, he saw the energy in his life and he spoke to the energy and the potential. That boy still on his bike showed his, showed his energy. When they threw me in that cell, it showed my energy, my, my determination. I said, damn, this, he just won't die. This guy's in here going 100 miles an hour in spite of the fact they were locking him down, putting him in basement cells, giving him no light, we're not giving him food, we're beating him. He won't quit this. When people saw that energy, the right people, they know what to do with it. I love it. And as we kind of wrap up here, I know this is giving me a 40 minute time, I'm gonna edit it, but you, you, you're the founder. Um, you have a book um, called Ambassador of Hope, um, turning poverty and prison into a purpose-driven life. And you've, you dedicate a lot of your, your work um, uh, for this cause. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, Ambassador of Hope and the work that you do? Um, just for, 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 for viewers and listeners. Well, I came from prison and I was in that space like so many before me who was in the mindset of the conditioning that I can't go. I can't, it can't be me. And then the worst of these became the greatest of these. So I go back and say, hey, I made it. I don't have to say a lot. I just have to go back and show people that they can make it too. I started out going to prisons because that's why I felt comfortable. Then I started going to schools because I realized kids needed it too. Then I started going to companies because I realized they needed it too. And I just realized, you know something? Everybody needs inspiration. Everybody needs to see a success. Everybody needs somebody to believe in them and encourage them. So whether it's a CEO of a billion dollar company or it's a mom on the other side of town with a boy who just won't get it, won't get it right. I don't, my, my job is not the question to qualify. My job is to show up and share information. My job is to share information. If you had to go to the prison and pick the greatest person to give the information to, it wouldn't have been me. When they showed up at the farm, they said, who's going to be the next king? He's in this house. They didn't think it was David. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I've been overlooked. David's own father forgot he had another boy. Mm. He forgot he had another son. He said, you have to have another son. He's like, nah, this is it. Well, you got another son? Nah, this is it. Yeah. Somebody, what about that? Ah, oh, he don't count. Yeah. I'm the I don't count son. Yeah. And I believe everybody listens to this podcast is the next David. They can be the king of their own space. They can be the king of somewhere. But somebody has to come to the house and tell them, God told me you're the next king. So I'm coming to tell your people, hey, you're the next king of the thing that you're going to rule. You're going to have dominion. Over everything. I have to mean over everything. Walking, flying, calling, or speaking. Because it said so. So everybody's there. Right now at home listening, you have the ability to be the king of your life. But you just had to ask me to come out of the house and let you know. You are the king. Andrew, I love this. And I have to uh, unfortunately wrap this up. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and inspiring us with your story. I know there's a lot that we could cover and I'd love to have you back. I know your schedule is busy traveling around the world, but I'd love to have you back and and, and do and do a double take because this is just such a solid, solid, rich nugget that I believe uh, is, is gonna be impactful for a lot of lives. And, and folks, this is why we do what we do, right? This is this is the mission. This is why this podcast is in existence. So Andre, thank you so much for 
allowing your story to inspire the world and, and not holding anything back. This is truly inspiring for me, and I trust that it's inspiring for our guests as well. So thank you again for coming on the podcast. And um, you want to share really quickly, uh, Andre, your, your website for folks who want to go and learn about the work that you do. Uh, www.andrenorman.com is my website. You go to YouTube, Google, put my name in, my life pops up. I will see you sooner than later. Thank you.